this is where the podcast really starts. <gasps> Hello and welcome to Bizarre Podcast, Dogs Must Die. My name is Grant, you can call him Chip, and we are continuing our path further and further toward uh, uh, the menacing figure of Dio uh, in Egypt. What is this, 10? Yeah, 10 through 12? Yeah. 10. <laughs> that means we're talking about episodes 10 through 12 of Stardust Crusaders. These are just a really good set of episodes. I don't know. It's just really <laughs> it's good. It's true. It's true. I was excited to get to these three, especially because, yeah, it was at the end, near the end of the previous podcast, we were talking about how at this point, JoJo has like gotten into like, it's gotten comfortable you know, we got like the established format. It found its groove. Yeah. Yeah. And then these three kind of fuck with that just a little bit, I feel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With, with our first introduction of like a two-parter, first of all. Yeah. Yeah. This is the first time we've ever had one. But before we talk about it, I guess this is just a regular segment now. Uh, mm. uh, me going back, uh, talking about something that should have been mentioned in the week before regarding mm. a character's name. Right. Which one is it this time? Soul Sacrifice, the, the wielder of the, the devil stand. Right. That is not his original name. Were you aware of this? That is a localized name. Soul Sacrifice. Uh, I feel like I must have known at some point, but I do not Soul remember. Soul Sacrifice was originally written in the manga as Devo. Yes, that's right. I actually remember that and forgot to bring it up last time because I was watching those episodes with Voidberger and she noticed in the, the Japanese voice acting, she was hearing D- Devo. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's so, so strange because, like, normally when these change, like, uh, Enyaba or Wamu, you, you just, like, change the spelling or, or you add a sneaky little syllable in there. Mm-hmm. But in, in this case, the reason it flew by me is it went from one music reference to another and went from one that I guess it was supposed to suggest the name of the stand yeah, to one that really suggests the mechanics of the stand. <laughs> yeah and for that reason like i I mean traditionalists come at me if you want but i think soul (laughs) sacrifice is a better name yeah i think that's for what that is yeah it also just sounds way cooler than devo (laughs) soul sacrifice i I think devo sounds pretty cool and by that i mean the music not the word devo (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was me devo maybe that's why it had to change i don't know maybe uh, so yes, the Emperor and the Hanged Man, Part One. Oh, those are words that have not been in an episode title to this point. <laughs> also, two stands. Whoa, whoa. So we start with Joseph describing the route so far. Uh, uh, they're trying to put me out of work. I don't appreciate it. <laughs> that train ride apparently was just up the peninsula a bit, so they could get on yet another boat. Yeah, yeah, they are on another boat. And they're, they're about to reach uh, Calcutta? Yes, that, that is the port in which uh, uh, they will land. Uh, Joseph, the world traveler, suddenly very scared of curry and crowds. <laughs> yeah, it's but but Joseph and Polnareff are just like, I don't know. I hear it's kind of rowdy there. Curry? They're also I very don't... afraid for their tummies. They don't know how the local food is going to affect them. Yeah, and this whole time... And you just know, you know... You know how it goes, okay? We, we have a weird bit of a uh, local misunderstanding, and then you have the best meal you've ever eaten in your life. That's what <laughs> happens every time. Yeah. yeah well, they're, they're worrying about this. Abdul's just like, you know, I've been here plenty of times. Don't worry. It's good. This place is great. This place is great. The people are chill. Don't worry. You don't have to be so racist. It's going to be fine. And like the instant they, they dock and they're off the boat, you know, it's just a massive crowd of people trying to, you know, solicit. They're, they're just they're just packed in the middle of like 
a hundred people. The narrator tells us that Calcutta is home to 11 million people, and it seems all of them are on the docks today. <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, mister, want to buy something? And then there's like little kids just like asking like, hey, you got any money I can have? Or And, you know, all this shit. And it's very rowdy. Somebody steals Kakuin's wallet and they done fucked up. You Do you know what happened to the last guy? <laughs> it didn't go well. Yeah. Some kid is like rubbing his snotty nose all over Polnareff's fucking luggage. I love that Polnareff's luggage is the one prop. <laughs> yeah. It's always his, his. Yeah. His weird little cinch bag is just part of his like character design now. <laughs> yeah. So everyone's just like, oh my God, it's so rowdy. I can't handle this culture shock. And then Avdal's just like, see, isn't this place great? <laughs> and that's like the little punchline to the opening i do like the kids uh, uh nagging jotaro telling him that if he doesn't give them a tip he won't go to heaven right come on kid you think he was going to heaven you have not met i i think regardless of the quality of the character of the the people he fought earlier i think just for the sheer amount of balls he has crushed that <laughs> just just automatically sends you to hell yeah, I, th- I think that's in those new Dead Sea Scrolls they uncovered. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, the new drop. We had uh, it all wrong. <laughs> it's just like, even if those were the balls of bad people, there's just like a certain amount where like you're at the ga- the gates and they just like flip through pages of books and like, that meant, mm. nah, sorry, you got to go down. Has Avdol ever considered a career in the travel industry, per- perhaps advertising? He's really got a knack for it. He can replace Tim the Toolman in the Pure Michigan ads. We don't want to hear him anymore. Nah, yeah. I'm pretty sure uh, uh, Abdal doesn't uh, have any, like, coke habits either. So that, uh, <laughs> just a little hashish, you know? Just, just yeah. A bit. Yeah, yeah, man. It's different. So they do, of course, wind up at a restaurant. Yeah. And as soon as they're seated around the, t- the, the table at the restaurant, they're all much happier to be there. I forgot how much Stardust Crusaders throughout like whenever they get to a new location they always immediately have to eat and there's always a scene of them eating and just talking about the the local food in fact the restaurant they're in at least from the initial shots looks almost the same as the restaurant they were in several episodes ago when they first met polnareff (laughs) you know maybe it's a chain i don't know i don't know yeah polnareff gets up he excuses himself to, to visit the little boy's room as uh Everybody's looking over the menu like, oh, man, I don't know. It might be good, but oh, yeah. and, and Polnareff is just like, yeah, just order for me. It's fine. I, I trust you guys. Joseph is shocked at this. His his mouth falls open at the idea he could be trusted to order a meal. <laughs> I guess he's also thinking back to when they met like, ah, oh. yeah. Are we going to meet another party member here? <laughs> everyone check all the other tables we need a private booth no one can be near us the, the way that this is sort of a travelogue reminds me of uh, uh what the james bond series was like in the the 60s and 70s they mm. were essentially travelogue films that happened to have spy action in them yeah but you'd really watch them to see like here's some of the the cool shit you can look at in monaco or las vegas or the alps mm. right i think stardust crusaders is basically that but for normal people <laughs> Because they're not going to high roller clubs. They're no. just going to like restaurants that have uh, two or three dollar signs next to their name in the guidebook. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, it seems like uh, Joseph is, you know, pretty wealthy, pretty loaded. At the same time, it feels like they're trying to stretch their, their trip budget. Like, mm-hmm. maybe not thin, but they're trying to be economical about their choices here. They, they don't want to be attacked by some sort of stand user that lives in the banking system. <laughs> 
It could happen. <laughs> oh, man. It would be a stand that uh, attacks via pneumatic tubes. <laughs> yeah. The decimal point tarot card. Oh. Uh, so so Polnareff finds his way to the restroom, and we basically have the three seashells scene, except in this case, <laughs> it is a giant pole that he's handed and has no idea what this has to do with bathroom business. I, I love this stupid bit. <laughs> <laughs> he asks for guidance, but the waiter is already gone in a flash. Yeah, he uh, he walks in, uh, looks at the toilet, and it's it's a pretty normal toilet, I guess. But it's got it's literally shining. There, yeah. there is like a lens flare. This toilet is so clean. Yeah, and Polnareff because it's it's not like up against the wall. It's just in the middle of the room. There's no big you know water tank on the back. It's just the seat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's just like, all right, it looks this looks fine. It looks pretty clean talking out loud to himself about how he can't stand dirty bathrooms. And so he shuts the door and the camera. I'm very curious why this seems to be like a two or 300 square foot room with the toilet is, in the dead center. It is quite large, yeah. Who who would play in a room like this? <laughs> the door shuts, the, the camera, you know, pulls away from, from the bathroom door and it's just quiet for a little bit as Ponref is ready to use the toilet and then uh, he, he just begins fucking screaming and he... <laughs> flies out of the bathroom the waiter from earlier the wait staff comes by he's like oh is there a problem and and Polnareff is just like really freaked out goes hey what the fuck is this and there's uh, a there's a pig's head sticking out of the toilet bowl a live Mm -hmm. pig Uh, not a lot of tarot decks include it but the toilet pig is one of the major arcana this is the stand (laughs) ah the toilet pig but the waiter cuts in and is like, oh, oh excuse me, sir. Uh, uh, you, you see that the, the feeding trough that our uh, restaurant uh, uh, abuts against was built a little higher than normal. <laughs> so sometimes the pig just gets right up there. <laughs> That's what the stick is for. You beat the pig in the brain. <laughs> yes, <let me> just... <laughs> and Polnareff begins to freak out as he realizes that, yes, this is a literal piss pig. Yeah. <laughs> And the waitstaff tells Polnareff uh, that his boss loves to uh, get his butt oh, licked God. by the pig, and then he makes a really weird, creepy face while he says that. <laughs> I, oh, man. So so then the waiter finishes their interaction by demonstrating use of the the toilet pig beating stick. <laughs> it just fucking brains this pig right in the forehead. It's a good thing he did it because if Polnareff did it, the, the farmer next door would be wondering why all his pigs are dead. <laughs> Yeah, they're just being exploded pig. <laughs> the, the the pole would go all the way through the pig. It's it's ready for roasting immediately. One step, good to go. <laughs> the guy leaves again and you know, just leaves Polnareff with with the pole. With the pole and the, the mental image of the, the owner getting a pork flavored rim job. Oh man, God. <laughs> Polnareff looks back at the toilet and now there's just like an evil void okay I promise pork flavored rim job is not the episode <laughs> title I promise yay I don't think iTunes would be happy with that <laughs> <laughs> yeah now the now that Polnareff looks at the toilet again it has like an evil aura around it and, and yes. you can't see the pig the pig is too far back but you can see his eyes briefly shine like an evil glow <laughs> and it oinks and the oink echoes into the night so he decides to uh, uh, hold it, I guess, until we yeah. get somewhere with proper plumbing. He just washes his hands. He's washing his hands, washing his face and all that. Um, God, we spent 15 minutes talking about a character not peeing. Yep, yep. 
it's a funny fucking scene though but as he is washing his face you know we can see the reflection of what all the stuff that's behind him including uh the window that's behind him and there is outside just the silhouette of an arm and a hand just like pressing up against the window why why do we ever let him go alone he is a stand magnet this boy yeah polnareff especially buddy system buddy Mm -hmm. system like even though they're just right around the corner like (laughs) stands are wacky as fuck you cannot you got to be like (laughs) attached to the hip so so polnareff starts to notice that you know he sees a figure in the mirror but it's not behind him he's freaking out there's a stand user hunting him that uses mirrors silver chariot comes out shatters the mirror okay now what the stand that he's seeing behind him that is only in the reflection, not actually physically behind him, is kind of like, uh, I don't know, he kind of looks like Voldo from Soul Calibur, but... He's a dude. He's one of the is-a-dude stands. Yeah. Uh, with a face covered in, in mummy-ish bandages. And yeah, he, you know, he's got a, a, an array of bangles and whatnot. Yeah. A, one hemisphere of his head is uh, like a cyber brain. <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> I like that part a lot. But yeah, Polnareff has destroyed the, the mirror and all that. Uh, he runs out to the rest of the gang and goes like, hey, did y'all see? There's like a stand user. Or rather, he doesn't even say that. He just runs into the restaurant where there are other people and he just shouts, stand! Stand! <laughs> and he begins scanning the hands of every guest in this restaurant. Yeah. Because he's looking for the man with two right hands. Mm-hmm. Polnareff also gets very Frenchy when he's stressed. He he starts drop dropping in French words. Yeah, yeah. So he runs just outside the restaurant, and the rest of the gang catches up with him just like a, a few seconds later. And you know, is telling everyone about the stand user he's looking for again, saying like he's got to be nearby. Uh, and then he says, "Hey, y'all, I'm gonna do this on my own." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Avdol shoots that the fuck down. And I've been thinking for a little while. We haven't had a good Avdol moment in, in, in some time. Mm-hmm. And here it comes. And I, I especially appreciate that he's the one to stand up to Polnareff because they have that personal connection. Yeah. But Polnareff is not taking that uh, at all. <laughs> so, so what uh, starts as a challenge develops into a very heated shouting argument. They have a serious lover's quarrel in the streets of Calcutta. Mm-hmm. Abdal is saying that this is like a very stupid move on Polnareff's part to like do any of this shit. You know, every literally any time we are separated, bad things happen. And Polnareff getting really mad about this tells Abdal, hey, I came with you guys just to find this guy I've been hunting. I don't give a shit about the journey to defeat Dio at all. And Polnareff even digs in personally on uh, on Abdal uh, about his cowardice in yes. running away when he encountered yeah. Dio. I mean, as opposed to pledging your your stand in the service of Dio, like some people, Polnareff, I don't know. <laughs> people in flesh bud houses shouldn't throw stones, okay? <laughs> when you take away the, the personal jabs and the posturing and, and the pride, this is an argument about an urgent motivation to strike while the iron's hot, go on the offense, versus the, the benefits of planning and preparation. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody is on Avdol's side. Nobody actually says so, except Kakuin a little bit. Yeah. Everyone else is staying very quiet during this because it, it almost feels like, a, oh no, mom and dad are fighting. 
thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like they don't know how to, to, to butt into the sensitive argument that's happening because they like both of these people. But Polnareff will not be swayed. He goes off in a huff uh, uh, to, to hunt down the target of his vengeance quest alone. Joseph is saying at this point, like, we just got to let him go. There's no reasoning with Polnareff when he's like this. So you just got to let mm-hmm. him cool off. And as Polnareff uh, walks off to, to go do his own thing, we cut over to outside of uh, outside like the city, just kind of on some some planes here. And we get introduced to a new character here riding a big old elephant. Yeah, he's just riding his elephant out into the countryside uh, uh, with a, a young lady with him who he ditches in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, she's she is in love with this guy who, by the way, looks... Seems kind of rude. Yeah, kind of looks like a drifter or a cowboy type of guy. He's a super handsome cowboy man. Yeah. He looks like the JoJo version of the cowboy from that one episode of Cowboy Bebop. Oh... Yeah. He looks like he... JoJo's blonde spike. <laughs> yeah. So this lady that's with, with this guy is like royalty. She's 16. That's one thing we learn. Yeah, she's underage. And this guy's, you know, about the same age as like Polnareff probably. And, you know, he tells her like, hey, man, or, or hey, baby, I got to I can't marry you. Uh, I'm a drifter. That's my my life. You know, I can't change that. I would just break your heart. I love that his first uh, uh, thing is like, hey, get out of here. I'm done with you. I'm moving on. (laughs) And then she's like, no, I love you so much. And so he sighs, rolls his eyes and like, okay, let's try this. I'm going to (laughs) pretend that I'm so fucking in love with you, babe. Yep. And he makes that. My love is so powerful and dangerous, though. You got to live your life without me. I'm I'm bad news, but I'm going to love you so much forever (laughs) and ever. And oh my, we're so fucking romantic right now. Okay, now will you leave? Will you leave? (laughs) Yeah, he and he does make like the super hollow promise of like, I'll come back every once in a while. <laughs> uh huh. Okay. Every every shot where he's like hugging her or something, you know, he's just always sneering or rolling his eyes at this dumb bullshit. Uh, <laughs> and he hops back on his elephant, but not too long after he uh, he starts uh, on his journey, he comes across a, a dude chilling out by a, a very small chunk of broken broken brick wall, mm-hmm. and it is. The other stand user. This this is the the guy we've been looking for the the two handed man. Yeah, who pre- <laughs> previous episode it was it was mentioned that his name was Centerfold, but mm-hmm. the actual original name is Jay Guile. Yes, Jay Guile uh, of the Jay Guile band, whose biggest hit is Centerfold. Mm-hmm. Th- this is another track that uh, uh, these localized name changes seem to follow. Mm-hmm. If you can't just pronounce them real weird, just have it be another thing that that person's known for, but isn't so specific <laughs> yeah. in a legal sense. Yeah. And this is a localized cha- a localization change that I also support, because imagine you're Jay Guile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you become associated with this piece of shit? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> The, the this cowboy dude comes across Jay Guile and they're t- they immediately both start talking about Polnareff. They they know that Polnareff has gone out on his own and it's going to be real easy to pick him off this way. All according to plan, baby. Mm-hmm. Just gotta upset his his hot blooded humors and and pick him off. As they're talking about this, the the cowboy guy here uh, notices like a cobra is kind of sneaking up on Jay Guile. And as the uh, the cobra leaps into the air to bite Jay Guile, 
the cowboy uh, materializes a, a, a gun in his hand out of nowhere. This is so cool. This it's is really the cool. coolest looking stand power. Yeah. Like you could build a whole story about people who summon guns from nowhere. Yeah. That, that's that could a- be the only power and everybody just has their own different gun. <laughs> yeah, totally. He fires like a magic looking bullet out of it. It's got like a bright pink bullet trail. And it, mm-hmm. it's, it severs the cobra in half. But that's not all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Its head goes is flying in, in air. And we see there, there's a bottle on the ground next to Jay Guile. And we see in the reflection of the bottle, the, the cobra's head. And in the reflection, the, the stand that we saw in the mirror earlier appears and chops the, the reflection of the cobra up. And then the real life Cobra also becomes chopped up into tiny pieces. Yeah, yeah. Which is useful information. Uh, we see that it's not just mirrors, quote unquote, it, it's any sort of reflection. Yeah. So, yeah, this is uh, along with Jay Guile, who is uh, the hanged man. We've also got the cowboy here, who is the emperor, and his name is Whole Horse. The entire horse, 100% of that whole horse. H O L, Whole Horse. Uh, this. <laughs> I had no idea what reference this guy was supposed to be until recently. It's Hall and Oates. Hall and Oates. Whole horse Hall and Oates. <laughs> it makes more sense if you listen to the Japanese pronunciation yes. of horse to oats. Yeah, it, it makes more sense when said in Japanese. Uh, in Japanese, yeah. I'm, that, that English R, it's unique among world languages. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we got, we got two stand users teaming up now to, to take out Polnareff here. The hangman represents wisdom, circumspection, discernment, trials, sacrifice, intuition, divination, and prophecy. Mm. I don't know if that fits. Yeah, not really. Sacrifice? Maybe. For him, it really just sounds like, ooh, hanged man. That sounds evil. Let's give it to a really evil guy. Yeah, yeah. Circumspection? I I mean, he's a forward-thinking guy. Yeah. And the emperor stands for stability, power, protection, realization, a great person, aid, reason, <laughs> conviction, also authority and will. Hmm. Authority? Because he's a... Ca- I don't know. Nah. You know how cowboys are kind of in charge of things? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, oh, something I wanted to point out, uh, uh, the hanged man. You know, I said it, it cut the, the cobra up in the reflection. Uh, so the hanged man has uh, an Assassin's Creed, like, hidden wrist blade. <laughs> Yeah, but way bigger. It's really long. It's it's basically a hidden wrist sword. Yes, <laughs> it's very good. It's very good. It, it is interesting to see that. Yeah, let's let's change things up. Let let's have team ups. This is going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, as they split up to enact their plan, whole horse is riding off to celebrate out of touch Thursdays. Surely. <laughs> Meanwhile, Polnareff is back in Calcutta, asking literally everyone he sees uh, about. <laughs> Where they might have seen a man with two right hands. He's asking every uh, vendor uh, out of every street stall. He asks a sleeping cow. (laughs) I forgot about that. Yeah. (laughs) Just like lifting up the the cow's tail. Like, is he under here? (laughs) Where could he be? I kind of wish that as former Dio's minions, Polnareff or Kakuin knew more about Dio's present minions. Yeah. I, I guess the flesh bud guys weren't really on the evil stand user list serve. I guess not. I mean, it was the also way that Rubber Soul was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was also said. You know, Rubber Soul said uh, 
most of the the stand users do not tell each other about their own powers mm-hmm. uh, because that's you know trade secret, man. You just can't tell <laughs> other people what your stand your stand does. Polnareff keeps asking more and more people. Uh, it's it's started to rain now, and he asks some dude just sitting around like, "Hey, have you seen that guy?" And he goes like, "Oh yeah, there he is," <laughs> and just points <laughs> just out onto the street they're on. And yeah, whole horse and Jay Guile are just walking down the street, and you can see Jay Guile had you know the rain isn't hitting him. He's got a, kind of a weird like you know force field around him, which is not to spoil things. Never explained. No, <laughs> there is no reason he should be impervious to rain. <laughs> no, N- none given. At least he just is. Yeah, he, that's just a thing that has nothing to do with how his stand works. Nope. I, again, that's one of those things where it feels like, ooh, I can just bring up this detail and figure out what the stand power is later because that's just a cool visual. But it's just like, ooh, I figured out something that uses that. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> There's one shot, you know, where you see both Whole Horse and, and Jay Guy walking down the street. You get a reaction shot of uh, Polnareff's face. And then when it cuts back again, and it's the rain is subsiding now, now only Whole Horse is in the street. Jay Guy is just gone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he announces himself by trying to force a catchphrase. Oh, God. The gun is mightier than the sword. That's it. That's, that's the it. whole thing. That's that's the whole thing. He, go, he he says it. He says how cool it is. He brings it up again later to remind everyone how cool this line is. How yeah. much he loves it. <laughs> I also think that whole horse looks like he could be vaguely related to Speedwagon. Yeah. I mean, he's got Speedwagon's hair, basically, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is one of those episodes where, you know, like shit might be getting serious because the credits start rolling as everyone's still talking and things are still happening, <laughs> which means, you know, they need as much time for animation as possible. We're using every last minute we got, baby. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Whole Horse is very interested in the cowboy aesthetic. You can tell because he is named Horse and he looks like that. <laughs> yeah. But this continues to him, like, doing a showdown at high noon in the street as people clear away from these two guys, some number of paces apart, trying to trash talk one another. (laughs) Although he's not quite entirely a cowboy, he's more of a board gamer, because he wants to explain the situation (laughs) through the lens of Stratego. (laughs) Yeah, and not not like an Allegro, you know, like a a fake made-up version that's basically stratego no he just brings up stratego by name but then he talks about tanks and stratego is about napoleonic warfare at least by its aesthetic there are no tanks in stratego alternate universe stratego is crazy this is what stratego is like in a world with slightly higher gravity yeah they just go back and forth trying to to trash talk and neither one of them are very good at it but you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. going like he just straight up tells polar like hey my stand's a gun and uh, <laughs> uh, bullets, the gun is far better than the sword, uh, I'll have you know. And Polnareff's just like, what? Well, I uh, believe a gun is a coward's weapon. <laughs> yes, and gun only is... the true noble warriors <laughs> use swords. Yeah, and, you know, Polnareff's just like, whatever, I'll just shoot, just, you know, cut the bullets out of the air. Stand users just cannot wait to tell you what they can do. Yeah. They cannot wait. They, they, keep they it, love it. They keep it secret from people for so long that it's just like the first person they, that they can fight that understands what stands are, they just have to let it all out. If, if a stand user gives you a, a birthday present, they are going to text you at like 12.01 <laughs> a.m. Did you open it? Come on, come on, come Please. on, come on. Please. 
So I, I love that this trash talk section though s- session though ends with the two of them both laughing at each other's face and doing yes. the same gestures. Yeah. And then immediately stopping simultaneously as as the stands come out and the, the stand bullet is fired. Yeah. And so Polnareff, you know, brings out Silver Chariot and he goes like, okay, the bullet is really fast, but hey, you know, if I pop off my armor, give give my guy a, a speed boost, I should be able to cut the bullet out of the air. And so he swings his sword and just like nanometers before he cuts the bullet in half, the bullet just goes whoop and just <laughs> goes right around the sword. Because <laughs> the bullet is also the stand. Yeah. These yeah, aren't normal bullets. Yeah. So a- Avdol is such a fucking bro. <laughs> Oh my god, he's a bro. Abdul is such a bro, he will outrun a bullet for his boys, and he tackles Polnareff out of the way of a speeding bullet. <laughs> yeah. Because stands have to wait for the, the dialogue to finish. Mm-hmm. And Abdul could use that time for his <laughs> human legs to catch up. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, Abdul is saying, you know, we, we've all been looking for you all day because did, you didn't come back last night. Avdol's the first to find Polnareff. Everyone else is out elsewhere. You know, even though Avdol is, has pushed Polnareff out of the way, the bullet just curved up into the air and now it's making a roundabout trip. It's, yeah, it's still yeah. going. <laughs> just a great big loop. The other three boys are also looking for Polnareff. Uh, Kakuin overhears someone say, hey, there's a weird fight going on over there. <laughs> yeah, feels like I can only see half of what's going on. <laughs> I just love imagining what this looks like to non-stand users. Like, yeah. these two guys squared up in, in a street. They had an argument. Then they laughed all angry at each other. <laughs> and then they shouted while pointing at each other. And then a third guy tackled one of them. <laughs> but they seem to be friends. Huh. Wait a minute. This is a weird fight. I have to tell everybody. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Kakeoin is now going to the, the scene of the fight. Right before he gets there, Avdol brings out Magician's Red to just, like, melt the bullet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as he's about to do that, behind him is a puddle of rainwater that Hangman suddenly appears in, and he stabs Avdol's reflection in the back. Uh, and as Avdol's distracted by being stabbed, uh, he gets nailed right in the forehead by Whole Horse's bullet. Yep. 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 And Avdol dies. He dies very suddenly with feelings unresolved like mm-hmm. they, there is no closure on this fight that they had and we we have lost a member of our merry band he begins to steam for some reason yes as, as kakyoin kneels over his his uh, uh body as, as the life ebbs from him mm-hmm. it, it looks different in in later parts of jojo but Whenever a good person in JoJo dies, you can visibly see their soul leave their body, either as like steam or or other stuff like that. So that's what that is. Okay. Yeah. It's it's his good guy gas. It's his it's his good guy gas. Okay. Kakyoin gets there just when he sees Abdal get struck in the head by the bullet, and and he he picks up Abdal's lifeless body and, and shakes him and things like, oh, it's just a minor wound. He's okay. Like, you know, he's going to wake up any second. Kakuin is feeling the burden of being the only adult in the room now. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be very hard on him in the, in the days ahead. Oh, no. Uh, and, and so Polnareff walks away and he is, he's not having it. He's not going to weep for, for that coward who, who wouldn't listen to reason. He, he's just too slow, too weak. And Kakuin is like, what the fuck are you saying, my guy? <laughs> what is wrong with you? And then he notices the, the little 
wet drops hit the floor mm-hmm. and Polnareff is a very big man with very big feelings. He's <laughs> weeping gigantic tears ca- causing his face is a puddle before they even fall away yeah. down to the ground. Polnareff is uh, intense. Yeah. <laughs> It is so much tears. He's always at eleven. That's that's the thing. His his anger. His now his his sadness. Mm-hmm. His attempts at humor. <laughs> yeah, uh, and he he ends the the episode crying, saying, uh, "Having people die on me annoys me." Mm-hmm. And that's the end of episode ten. Which brings us to episode eleven: the Emperor and the Hanged Man, Part Two. So so this starts immediately where we left off. We are in the middle of a, a fight with some mysterious stand users that we don't know how to deal with, but Polnareff wants to, to go down swinging. He, he's not moving an inch while Kakuin is counseling yet again that, that discretion is the better part of Valor. Mm-hmm. Th- this is just like talking down the Hulk, basically. <laughs> this is any of those scenes. Maybe let's try a lullaby. It might help. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kakuin is constantly telling Polnareff, like, this is really a bad idea. We got, like, there's a car right behind me. You know, you can get your revenge later. Right now, we need to get in that truck, that little car, and retreat. Polnareff gets so pissed off, he's got, like, a steamy aura around him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that Kakuin's, like, crisis management plan is, like, in order to get through to this guy, I need specific actionable steps i have to point out exactly <laughs> which truck we are taking <laughs> yes there can be no follow-up questions needed mm-hmm. but but everybody's trying to basically get into Polnareff's head uh the the enemy stand users are are trying to egg him on and get him to blow his top and, and not think things through while while yeah kakuin is just like hey 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 big guy oh you had a rough day didn't you it's okay <laughs> yeah we'll we'll get him next time pal come on yeah and as polnareff is feeling like torn in in two opposite directions here uh he hears the hanged man stand slash jay guile talk to him uh and polnareff looks into a, a window and and sees the hanged man stand and the hangman is just taunting him saying like man you know you're the one that got Avdal killed and all all this stuff he wouldn't have died if it wasn't for you you know egging polnareff on even more and this is when Whole Horse decides to shoot him. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he fires another bullet off at Polnareff. This time, uh, there's no one to tackle Polnareff out of the way. Instead, Kakuin's too far away. So instead, he just blasts Polnareff with an Emerald, bla- uh, emerald Splash <laughs> yeah, to knock yeah. him out of the way. It knocks Polnareff out of the way. It, it Also, the, the magic bullet ricochets off a few of them. So, so yeah. it's just sent, you know, careening in some direction. Yeah. harmlessly although I, I guess we we should have mentioned that uh, uh silver chariot attacked the window shattering the glass right yes yet again and as the the shards fall uh, uh the hanged man is in one of the shards but not all of them yeah that seems conspicuous hmm. the framing really wants us to pay attention to that yeah everyone's distracted by uh Kakuin attacking polnareff with the emerald splash you know, and, like a good boy hero does. Yeah. Shoot your friends. While they're distracted by that, Kakuin is able to get into the truck, speed off, and grab Polnareff in the process and, and drive away, leaving Abdul's body behind. Yeah, you can just see it in the rear view as, as they go. Yeah. There's no OP for this episode. No. We skipped last episode's closing and this one's opening. Yeah. We need the minutes, baby. Gotta we need the it. minutes. 
whole horse gets ready to fire at the truck, but his stand has a, a limit to how far it can go, and that includes mm-hmm. the bullets. So by the time he takes aim, the car's already too far away for him to shoot. So so now we get our, our heroes to uh, sort of take a deep breath, talk about what happened and what's going to happen next on their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so they sort of kind of make up a little bit in, in the, the midst of, you know, more important things happening, like their fight for their lives. <laughs> yeah. So Kakuin offers a very special handshake of friendship. Yeah, uh, he elbows Polnareff in the face really fucking hard. <laughs> the, the, the the bros way of, of making up and, and, and stuff. I think he's been spending too much time with Jojo, if, if that's how you shake hands now. <laughs> yeah. He's a bad influence, that boy. Matt, you know, with tears in his eyes, Kakuin smashes Polnareff in the face with his elbow and says, uh, take this instead of a handshake as proof that we've made up. And, mm-hmm. and Polnareff's like blood is just constantly squirting out of his nose, and it's just like, and he just says thanks, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, it's time to set a plan, figure out what to do. Uh, as Polnareff starts saying everything he knows about how this stand works, and that he feels real fucked because Silver Chariot can't go into the mirror dimension. Yeah. Oh, and while this is happening, we also get a quick cutaway of uh, both uh, Jotaro and Joseph. Uh, finding Abdul's dead body. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But yeah. Polnareff talking about the mirror dimension. <laughs> uh, while he's doing that, he looks up the rear view mirror in the truck in the tr- uh, the car, and he just tears that right off with his bare hands and crushes it, mm-hmm. uh, trying to eliminate any sources of reflections possible. And and so they have an argument about the mirror dimension and whether <laughs> it exists or not, and what that means for their plans going forward. Yeah. Like. Kakui is arguing like there is no such thing as a mirror dimension. That's dumb, Polnareff. That's that's <laughs> that is science fiction. And, and Polnareff then... counters stands exist. <laughs> Who the fuck says there's not a mirror dimension? <laughs> yeah. And like th- this is a specific case of a greater debate on how far to apply real physics mm-hmm. to stand battles. Yeah. And like I'm wondering how much of this is directed at the audience. Is this a guide on how to look at the series? Right, yeah. Because what comes out of it is Kakuin's right. There's no such thing as a mirror dimension. That's fake. (laughs) Yeah. Also, in the next episode, we get more examples of how anything that is real works. Mm. The only exception (laughs) is stands seem to have uh, hit points that can only be (laughs) reduced by the direct actions of other stands. Yes, yeah. They, They are subject to all laws of physics except when it comes to injuries Mm -hmm. (laughs) or things that would cause them. Yeah. And while they're uh, continuing to argue about the mirror dimension, Polnareff looks down at the steering wheel because a a glint catches his eye and there's, you know, some like metal plating and stuff on parts of the steering wheel. And oops, the hanged man is in that tiny little, (laughs) that tiny little surface. It's in the the chrome highlight on the steering wheel. And so they fucking bail. (laughs) Yeah. And the reflection hanged man is just in the the bed of the truck and he's crashing through the the windshield behind them. So they swerve in a tight corner that rolls the truck over and over uh, itself. They, they sort of crawl out of the wrecked cab, uh, injuries minor but present, mm-hmm. and, and just run away and hide behind some rocks, far from civilizations, therefore far from windows, far yep. from mirrors, far from puddles, hopefully. Yeah, when they're first crawling out of the, the, the wrecked truck, Polnareff notices very briefly there's like a glint 
that shines on a, a, a part of the shattered windshield that then zips to a different reflective surface. Yeah, th- this is the first time we see, as viewers, the, the motion, the transit of the Hanged Man. Yeah. It's so cool, though, that we finally got uh, our first stand named for a musical reference. That's great. <laughs> I love that album. <laughs> yeah. It really postdates the series, but it goes to show how forward-thinking Iraqi is. <laughs> Yeah, the hangman teleports like onto the reflection of uh, the bumper on the truck and Polnareff cuts that up. They dive behind some big rocks and uh, they suss out, wait a minute, we were just able to briefly see him travel from one reflective surfaces surface to another. That means he's actually light. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is no mirror dimension. He's just made of light and is visible on the surface of mirrors. Yeah. Like all reflections are. They are light bouncing off of the surface of reflective surfaces. Yeah. It's just like the stand can like selectively, you know, say which things he is reflecting off of. So Polnareff just starts barking out orders. He wants Kakuin to tear off all of his shiny, shiny buttons. Mm -hmm. And that's going to take a minute. He's got a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And while they're trying to do that and and prepare, a little kid walks by and goes like, damn, are you guys okay? You look hurt. This kid is no Anne. This kid is not even a Poco. My God, he's not even a Poco. (laughs) They look at this kid and then they go, oh shit, as the camera zooms in on his eyeball and the hanged man is chilling out in the reflection of the kid's eye. This is such a cool idea. It, it it's is. not exclusive to JoJo, but it's such a good idea that the monster is an image living in the eye because you get that that transgression of it living in you, mm-hmm. like the the little tiny black goo worm swimming around the dude's eye in Prometheus. So fucking cool. Oh yeah. Or just you know that the monster is the image of the monster uh, just a wasted idea in the time of angels? But oh well, a lot of people <laughs> like that episode more than I do. Yeah. I don't care for it particularly, whatever. <laughs> but once again, the question is, are you a bad enough dude to stab a child in the eye? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It hang- keeps happening. Yeah, Hanged Man just straight up asks like Polnareff, like, hey, you can't hurt me now. I'm this kid's eye unless you want to stab it out, of course. <laughs> Come on, come on, stab the kid in the eye, come on. Yeah, so Hanged Man in the reflection of the kid's eye grabs Polnareff by the neck, and then in real life you see Pol- like just the indents of the, the fingers gripping yes. onto his neck, yes. which is really cool. And Polnareff begins to laugh. Ah, aha. Now, if I were a stand user and my opponent began to laugh, I would simply stab them then <laughs> and not wait to hear what they're laughing about. It's, it's just like ever because... There aren't that many stand users, you know, compared to the general population. So stand users probably don't get to fight against other stand users that much. It always feels like whenever their opponent starts chuckling, when they're about, when it seems like they're about to get owned, it's just like, all right, I got to hear this out. What do you got? <laughs> I don't get to see this happen very often. What are you going to do? Polnareff has a has an idea here. But before he, he enacts his plan, he does the whole Inigo Montoya <laughs> speech. He, he seriously does the speech. He intro- introduces him, himself with his full name. Mm-hmm. He says for whom he is fighting, his sister and, and Avdol. He essentially says, though in different words, prepare to die. <laughs> yeah. He goes like, hey, kid, sorry for this. I'll buy you some candy later. And then kicks up a bunch of dirt off the ground uh, into the kid's eyes. So he's forced to close his eyes shut, mm-hmm. which means there's no reflective service for the hangman. So he has to go somewhere else. 
he jumps to the only reflective surface available, Polnareff's eye. Mm -hmm. And so because Polnareff knows where he's jumping from and to, Silver Chariot can be there like some sort of speed of light baseball player. <laughs> yeah. And and swipe at it in transit. Mm -hmm. None of this explains why rain doesn't land on him. None of this. No, <laughs> it does not. Polnareff explains that that plan, uh, and then we see the uh, hangman and Polnareff's eye like explodes. He's got a big, big bloody gash all across his body now. They also then hear Jay Guile off in the distance scream, and so then they follow. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, they, they follow the sound of his screaming. So they find Jay Guile uh, just kind of leaning up against like a, a broken pillar. They find a pretty handsome dude with a hat that has dangly bits on the hat. And <laughs> yeah. they're like, this must be a stand user. I can tell because he has a giant gash in his chest. <laughs> yeah, just where I cut him. So bada bing, bada boom. You know, Polnareff is saying, you know, continue his speech about how he's going to get revenge and all this. And while he's doing that, uh, a knife comes flying from behind him. and just lodges directly into his, sh his shoulder blade. Because that was not Jay Guile slash Centerfold. That was some random drifter with a flair for fashion. <laughs> yeah. The real stand user uh, slashed him across the chest to, to become a decoy mm -hmm. uh, uh, and appears as a, a half-melted man uh, <laughs> who has no irises in, in his eyes. Mm -hmm. He's just Sclera, baby. All Sclera all the time. Yep. And he's just a real rotten potato-looking freak. <laughs> yes. The, the true, the true stand user, who is, in a sense, terrifying. Like, the power of teamwork killed Avdol immediately. Mm -hmm. Like, he hardly had a chance to even, you know, think or say anything. And if you don't have time to speak in this show... <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's saying something. But now, like, th this very devious trap of, yeah, I'll murder a drifter so I can s literally stab you in the back. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah. That's a scary dude. Yeah. Th th like, out of all the stand users that appeared so far, this guy is, like, the most, the most evil one and the most dangerous one by far. He seems incredibly capable. <laughs> like, Tower of Grey was, like, a serial killer that caused, like, multiple plane crashes. That was his MO. And somehow this guy seems worse still. But Tower of Grey never seemed like he could take out another stand user yeah. who is paying attention. Yeah, totally. Centerfold seems like he really could, especially when, you know, he's got backup. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of backup, now is when we get our Emperor uh, uh, title card interstitial. Oh, right. And I love this one because it's just a gun. <laughs> it's just a drawing of a gun and it's got some Just spats. a really cool looking gun. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of like a like a cowboy revolver, but it's like a sci-fi cowboy revolver sort of. Yes, yes. Yeah, it looks pretty neat. So so back to the action, and all I can wonder is how hard is it for artists to draw backwards hands? Oh my god, yeah, I was thinking that too. Like, it looks good, but it seems difficult. Years and years of practice in order to do good-looking hands the normal way, and then, like, here's a fucking curveball for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> draw this 12 times a second, see how you like it. Oh no. So, Jay Guile has uh, a plan to make this situation far worse and far harder for them, for Polnareff and Kakuin to attack him, because uh, Kakuin is about to do an Emerald Splash on the dude. Um, he just, There's just a whole bunch of people nearby, and Jay Guile just shouts like, hey, these guys will give you money! <laughs> and he just draws a big crowd of people to surround surround the two. It's it's like a repeat of landing on the docks in Calcutta. They're, they're just being bodied in this huge scrum of people like, money? Did somebody say the magic word money? Money? How 
bad do these people want money that they're going to put up with these showers of blood they're being covered in? <laughs> yeah, because now they're, you know, there's so many people around. They're pinned in between all these people. They can't attack. There's so many eyeballs that, that Hangman can attack from any place at any time. There's no way to predict its jump trajectory to, to land an attack. So, yeah, just slash on slash on, on our two big burly boyos. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it's, it's like a, a fucking Sea World show, the amount of blood that these people are going to get covered in. Yeah, it's really, it is really funny just because you're so focused on the protagonists like getting hit assaulted from every angle by knife slashes and them erupting in blood everywhere that some it is hard to think the first time you're watching it like wait a minute these people are just seeing guys randomly explode into blood clouds and they're still just like ooh money ooh who's got the money <laughs> is it in there no that's my larynx it's no <laughs> Uh, but Jay Guile is, is taunting them, saying like, "Oh, you think you found my stand's weakness? I've known about this weakness for for years, and I've ha- I've come up with so many different ways to counteract, you know, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. the, these weaknesses." And then he talks about how truly sad it is that Polnareff's, you know, years long quest for vengeance ended here, so close. It is the Count Rugen speech. Yes, they're just doing the Princess Bride. <laughs> yeah. How how popular was that movie in Japan? <laughs> I know somebody who watched it. Yeah. It sold at least one ticket. That's clear. Yeah. Oh, is there, I want to hear the Japanese dub for that movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You, you know that Inigo would have the, like, really deep Toshiro Mufune voice. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So so now it is Kakyoin's turn to to uh, uh, as Polnareff is about to give up the ghosts, be like, no, no, that's not how you do it when you're about to to claim your your prize. Mm-hmm. And he does the Nigomantoya <laughs> speech. You yeah. killed my Avdol. Prepare to die. Yeah, we're we're also getting a a variation on Polnareff's solution from earlier, kicking the dirt into the the kid's eyes. He pulls out a shiny golden coin he's got in his pocket. Mm-hmm. and says hey whoever catches this gets to keep it and he just flicks it up really high into the air so that every no matter which eye a uh, hanged man is in it will be going to this one small point mm-hmm. everyone's looking at the coin and so polnareff kicks up dirt into everybody's faces and yeah so hanged man shoots out again he only has one place to go the coin and, and polnareff is able to land another like direct hit on on hanged man the soundtrack, the score picks up these soaring strings that feel so good because yes. this guy is so bad. This feels like a well-earned victory. Like, uh, uh, this dude killed Avdol. He killed uh, uh, Polnareff's sister. He's incredibly dangerous. <laughs> he's a super bad guy, yeah. He's a, he's a super bad guy, and they made overcoming him seem so much more difficult than like I'm, I'm thinking back over the last few episodes no nobody has been this hard to kill yeah so to like see it coming these violins they hit right this is good yeah the, this specific song it plays a lot for when Polnareff is doing cool shit um I believe it does get used for other people too but yeah this this song is really good and it hits really good for this episode too so the hanged man is dealt a, a critical slash uh, and dissipates, and now Silver Chariot uh, is focusing himself on uh, Centerfold slash Jay Giel himself. 
and he gets death by mouth violence. Oh no! It's stabbed the, right through the tongue. It's the second guy that gets stabbed clean through the fucking tongue. Paul Rev turns a dude into a pincushion. He gets stabbed a million times, just like uh, the devil. Mm-hmm. And when he dies, uh, he gets flung into the air because he he's like pinned up against a metal gate. Mm-hmm. He gets flung up into the air, and when he lands, he is hanging upside down, like his foot caught on the top of the gate. Yes, hanging upside down from his ankle, much like the figure in the Hanged Man tarot card. Yep. Hmm. Hmm. It makes me wonder how many of them have parallels in their deaths to Hmm. their tarot card that I didn't notice. Like, I mean, Temperance's great weakness was being submerged in water. Meh. There's another (laughs) one, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, know, I don't know how... I feel like the Hangman is the most obvious one. If there are any others that, that have that, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, at least. But yeah, Jay Guile is... He's dead. They fucking killed the shit out of this dude. <laughs> uh, and so both Polnareff and Kakuin are going back to into the city to meet up with everybody else. They just flash there. They, they, they move in the space of a single edit yep. uh, as they're being walked up on by, oh, right, that other guy. Whole horse is here to play. Whole horse is still here. However, Enyaba knows that people die, whole horse doesn't have it. Yeah. Whatever it is, he ain't got it. Nope. Because he's walking up, feeling confident, feeling his hollow notes, you might say. <laughs> uh, uh <laughs> Sure that whatever he does, he's got the backup of the immortal uh, uh, Jay, G- Jay Guile. Like, he's feeling really cocky. He's just shooting random uh, windows and other bits of glass to scatter reflective surfaces everywhere to set stuff up for Jay Guile. Because he's a good partner. Yeah. yeah. Polnareff and Kakuin just inform him, like, yo, we killed that <laughs> that dude. <laughs> and I, I love the reaction here. Whole horse just, like for a beat just is frozen still and then he just immediately turns tail and starts running away joseph's special move gets around man yeah and it's this bit is really funny because it's incredibly fluidly animated him just fucking yeah. booking it it looks way better than anything else the whole episode yeah. <laughs> we hear whole horse thinking to himself he's like wow i'm fucked i don't got a chance i only work good if i got a guy to, a guy to work with i am number two i hate being number one <laughs> So he runs as fast as his little legs can carry him as our merry band is reunited, at least those that are still living. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the Joestars uh, uh, tell their, their friends that, hey, we, we gave Avdol a simple burial, uh, uh, so that's taken care of. But wouldn't you know it, Whole Horse shows up again? <laughs> <laughs> they just find him by a random chance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so they're, they're all talking like, hey, how should we deal with Whole Horse here? And and Polnareff, you know, immediately just goes like, I want to kill the shit out of this guy. Like, Yeah, he's a very bad man. He killed kill Avdol. Let's kill the hell out of this dude. And so Polnareff is slowly walking up to him, getting ready to, you know, uh, stab this dude with Silver Chariot. As he's about to deal the killing blow, uh, the the lady that Whole Horse was with earlier in the episode just tackles Polnareff down to the ground. He really does work better with a partner, that guy. Yeah. And, and so this lady is... is screaming to to whole horse like oh i love you so much i I will i'll save you you know please run away while you can uh and so he fucking does he just immediately books it or doesn't immediately book it he gets onto his horse or a horse that was nearby and then taunts them briefly before then running away Mm -hmm. Uh, and and (laughs) shouting to the lady like hey i love you baby i'll see you later (laughs) uh if if i don't write you any letters it's just because i'm illiterate whatever don't sweat it bye i'm so intensely in love with you that i forgot how to read and write trust me <laughs> i am so shocked that jojo isn't calling this girl a bitch like come on polnareff does polnareff <laughs> does 
That's true. Also, this lady has incredible strength because she's just like a tiny 16-year-old girl, and she tackles Polnareff to the ground, a man who's like 350 pounds of meat, and <laughs> on top of tackling him to the ground, is able to keep him there. She is just like a ball and chain stuck, this this dude. Polnareff's body type, how to uh, uh, describe the shape of his body. Okay, take a guitar uh-huh. and turn it upside down. <laughs> yeah. Then put a little head on the bottom of the guitar that's now the top of the guitar. Yeah, yeah, that's basically him. <laughs> Give him some really, really tall hair, too. <laughs> it's always it's always super funny whenever you see Polnareff from behind because his tall hair makes his head look incredibly long and narrow. Uh, so, so Polnareff is walking away, trying to get away, but yes, he does have a ball and chain uh, of, of a 16-year-old princess yeah. <laughs> attached to him. She is getting carved up by like the sharp stones of the ground. Blood is squirting out of her as Polnareff just tries to drag her along. Yeah. Joseph and stops him and says like, you know, we might just, you know, just just leave whole horse. We don't you know, we can't be wasting our time just trying to get this dude too. Uh, and he stresses it's already been 15 days since we left. You know, we're, we're wasting time. He's got like a little bandage that he's putting on the, the the girl's arm, and a little a little drop of blood squirts out of her her uh, uh, wound yeah. as he like ties off the bow on this bandage, and it lands on his arm. Hmm. The camera very heavily focusing on that. That's not that's that's something. But yeah, Polnareff agrees. You know, okay, sure, we'll ignore whole horse and we'll just get back on our journey. I don't want Avdol's effort to go to waste essentially Mm -hmm. and he makes a commitment not just himself but also to everybody else like hey guys we gotta stick together that's how we're gonna win from here on out (laughs) yes i've learned my lesson i'm not going to say i learned a lesson i'm gonna say i'm teaching all of you a lesson yeah there we go that's how i save face here we go So as they walk away, the camera again focuses on Joseph's arm, but there's not a drop of blood there. There's a weird little mole or like a pimple Mm -hmm. going on and it opens up into a mouth. And it makes a little noise. It makes a little noise? It makes a little baby. I love like, you know, every once in a while there's a cliffhanger in a JoJo episode where you're like, what the fuck? Like, you know, back in part two where Joseph turns around and there's just a brain on his back hitching a ride. Yeah. This one is also one of those where, like, because as the camera slowly zooms in, it's pulling out uh, the song it uses in part three every once in a while that's, like, uh, it's it's really mysterious sounding, and it, like, slowly mm-hmm. escalates into, like, a, oh, shit, what's happening type thing. And, yeah, it's just this slow zoom in, this little this little pimple or whatever growing a mouth, and it goes, like, bunyun, <laughs> like this little baby noise. <laughs> And that's the fucking cliffhanger to be continued. There's a little mouth on Joseph's arm now. So with something like that, we've got to keep going. Mm -hmm. Obviously, got to know what happens next. In episode 12, The Empress, Mm. we meet up with Enya, our our weird little hag, who apparently gets all of her news from cats. (laughs) So apparently there was some sort of ocean cat watching strength go down that psychically communicated to her cat. But but basically, yes, she has, through some mysterious artifice, uh, learned of the, the death of her son. This is not just any old uh, stand user among Dio's minions. This this is 
her her dear boy mm-hmm. and so she freaks the fuck out she she has like some phantom sympathy pains by which i mean stab holes <laughs> appear in her face and body <laughs> yeah yeah the the exact places where her son was stabbed she gets them as well starts bleeding out of them she's in hysterics i imagine this is what happened to my mom when i cut contact <laughs> with her but oh, i God. wouldn't know i cut contact with her oh no <laughs> <laughs> oh. So yeah, she's she is mourning the loss of her son and, and all this, and just weeping, completely losing it. You know, weeping that her son had a, a such a pure soul. The cat seems real unhappy with all this drama. Yeah, this cat won't move, but it's hissing a lot. Enya gets up and venting her frustrations, like you know, you see any animal in JoJo, and you're like, uh oh, and then she starts charging towards the cat. And you're like, uh oh. <laughs> And with her big staff, her cane, walking cane, uh, she clubs this cat over the head. And I thought upon rewatch, like, okay, this cat's dead, right? Like animals fucking die when they get clubbed over the head like this in JoJo. But no, uh, the cat's fine. It just bounces off the ground and acts like it had just gotten swatted kind of hard. And it just runs away. It's fine. You keep saying cat, but I think after that, we can uh, declare definitively that this is a really weird looking dog. <laughs> This is just a dog with weird pupils and different kind of ears. Yeah. And I know, I know that people want to see their children in the best possible light, but he was a murder rapist. Can <laughs> we, can we, rapist. can we like sort of put a damper on this like pure noble soul stuff here, Enya? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, come on. He, he killed a drifter in order to set up a, an ambush. Yeah. He could have just, it didn't have to be the drifter's blood. <laughs> yeah. And Enya ha- is having like a big mood swing from uh, mourning her son to being super pissed off and out for revenge, mm-hmm. like ecstatic or almost euphoric and like beginning her plans to kill the Joe stars and the rest of the gang. And so we're off to the OP. But before we talk about that, uh, I want to go back to cast notes, our rarest uh, segment oh, on yes. the show. Yes. <laughs> so when we first met Enya, you mentioned that she sounds in the English dub a lot like Rita Repulsa. Oh, is she just that lady? Uh, she is voiced in English by Barbara Gordon, the voice of Rita Repulsa. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. I was right. <laughs> she is also the voice of Mother Talzin in the Clone Wars show and oh, Marl wow. in Final Fantasy VII Remake. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't only play Hagley witches, but she plays nearly every Hagley witch. Wow. Prolific. Oh, <laughs> that, man. that is her territory. <laughs> oh, man. That's great. I'm happy to know that. So so back to the the OP. I just wanted to note it because now that now that Avdol is dead, mm-hmm. it hits real different. Like all these shots of the the team together in they they look like good times that could have been yeah. but never will be. They're walking through uh, uh places that Avdol never got to go. They're having campfires that Avdol never got to have. Mm-hmm. This is depressing. Yeah, the way protagonists or other good good characters in JoJo have died in the past, they always get usually like a really big theatrical goodbye for the most part. Uh, both Zeppelis mm-hmm. get, you know, multiple minutes dedicated to them. And here it's yes. just like... Caesar off- went out on top. Like yeah. Caesar went out with unfinished business and that's a tragedy, but he went out on fucking top. Yeah. Meanwhile, Avdal just got shot down, gunned down in the streets and like, that's it. That's it. You know? He didn't get to have last words they there was no closure with anyone or anything mm-hmm. he didn't even get to make a final stand 
with his stand. <laughs> yeah. So our boys are all on the bus. <laughs> they're all on, they're all on the bus now. Uh, this bus will not last long, I think. <laughs> yeah, modes of transportation other than your feet are very dangerous to be in in Stardust Crusaders. But it's not just them. They they've brought this uh, uh, princess lady with them. And Polnareff is talking to her, and this looks like one of those paintings that get captioned as mansplaining jokes. <laughs> yeah, it's that. Because she is just stone-faced staring forward while he's trying to tell her about, you know, the dangers of tunnel vision in life and love and how yes. whole horse, he's really just a, a rotten rat bastard of a guy. <laughs> yeah, and never quite gets there to saying, like, you should date me instead. But that's the goal of his entire thing he's saying. Very, very clear goal. She can <laughs> see it. Bec- and that's why she's not making eye contact. She is desperate for him to go away. Yeah. She wants to invent earbuds so she can put them in <laughs> to send a signal. Yeah. But yeah, they are heading now on, on bus to the city of uh, Varnasi. Is that how you say it? I forget how you say that. We get plenty of B-roll alongside our description of the Ganges because JoJo's invented the travel channel. Mm-hmm. They, they animate, you know, th- those steps that lead down to the Ganges River, you know. But yeah, j- just more, uh, more travelogue stuff uh, from the narrator. Mm-hmm. And that's, for the most part, the only time the narrator pipes in anymore is just to introduce the new location. Yeah, yeah. I wonder what the restaurant will be like this time. Ooh. So, so meanwhile, back on the bus, there's a fly buzzing around mm-hmm. until it is not... Because it is bitten in half by the mole on Joseph's arm. <laughs> and Joseph just looks at his arm. The, the mole is a huge growth on his arm now. It is like fist-sized. And it yeah, clearly... it, it grew dozens of times its size in an instant. I think that's worrying. And it clearly has like an evil face on it, like growing <laughs> on it. And Joseph just looks up on it and goes like, man, this thing's really big. What doctor deals in arm faces? yeah. And so when they get off the bus, uh, everyone's like, damn, dude, you got to get that checked out. Polnareff's like, Does that, doesn't it look like it's got a face on it? And Joseph's just like, shut the fuck up. No, it's not. I'm a fussy old man. Did you forget I'm fussy? I'm yeah, really he's, fucking fussy. Yeah, yeah. Joseph's being a grumpy old man uh, again. And he's just like, I don't, I'll go to the doctors myself. You don't have to fucking take me there like an elderly old grandpa. I'll do it. Polnareff like, oh, offers yeah. to come with them after he gave yeah. that speech about how we shouldn't go off alone. The first thing that happens is Joseph goes off alone. Mm-hmm. God damn it. But yeah, jo- Joseph's at the doctor's get- getting his arm face checked out. But before he goes, there is uh, oh, this yeah. very strange shot of the the girl. Has she been named yet? She gets named on the bus, right? She. I don't believe she's been named at all. Okay. She gets named at some point in this episode. Yeah. This as yet nameless Indian princess has a tight close up on her face as she sticks out her tongue and there's a little face on the tongue that makes the same weird baby noise. <laughs> yep. This is Kung Pao to readmit the fist. Oh my god, finally the sequel my twelve year old self was waiting for. Uh so yeah, Joseph's at the doctor's mm-hmm. and the doctor is just like, Oh yeah, I could get rid of that, no problem. I'm just gonna cut it off. Don't worry. This is normal. But Joseph continues to be a fussy old baby grandpa who doesn't want to get his boil lanced, mm-hmm. especially when the doctor's like, eh, the scalpel's pretty rusty. Still works, though. <laughs> it's still good. So Joseph doesn't look. He, he like, closes his eyes and turns away uh, as he hears the noise of about, what would you say, a dozen slashes? <laughs> yeah. There's a, the, the doctor's a quick uh, quick worker. He, he's that uh, surgeon people like to talk about that, like, killed three people and cut off his own finger during one amputation in the civil war or whatever what (laughs) i have not heard of that well now i have to look up the real story okay 
credit for the information and some of the specific wording that you're about to hear goes to Katie Serena, writing for allthatisinteresting.com. Good job on that SEO, making you the first search result. <laughs> Dr. Robert Liston, the fastest uh, surgeon of his time. Hmm. Uh, he could perform a leg amputation in two and a half minutes. Wow. Uh, he eventually got that down to 28 seconds. <laughs> Fucking what? Before every surgery, he would say, time me, gentlemen. <laughs> wow, that's a dude that loves to saw off legs, I think. During one leg amputation, uh, he brought down his knife so focused on his speed that he took his surgical assistant's fingers off along with the patient's leg. Jesus. As he swung the knife back up, he clipped a spectator's coattails and he collapsed dead from shock. <laughs> what? Wow. The patient and the assistant both died after their wounds became infected. Holy shit. Robert Liston was a, a Scottish surgeon. Mm. 1800s, yes, but well before the American Civil War. I had that wrong. Uh, and he is remembered as, you know, the namesake of the Liston knives, implements that are still used for surgery surgeries. Oh, wow. Huh. Yeah, that is basically what it sounds like what's happening. Basically. Off camera. Basically. So Joseph, you know, closing his eyes, turning his head away after hearing multiple slices, he goes like, damn, that was quick. And then he looks, he looks over like, are you done? Are we over? Is it done? And yeah, the doctor has the scalpel <laughs> jammed right into his face. Through the eye. Yep. Uh, and his, his mole is talking to him now in the voice of every, hey, what if the Muppets said fuck project <laughs> you've ever seen? Yeah. Yep. And so Joseph looks down at his arm. It's got a face that makes it look like it's related to Frieza, kind of. <laughs> it kind of looks related to Frieza. It's got the same weird, yeah. uh, or later in the episode, it's got like the same weird like earmuff things. I don't know. <laughs> and it is an angry little guy. Oh, this stand is uh, a sassy little... This stand is feisty. Yeah. Uh, and it introduces itself as the Empress, the Empress uh, representing fruitfulness, action, initiative, length of days, the unknown, the clandestine, also difficulty, doubt, and ignorance. Hmm. I think they just wanted a girl one. Yeah. <laughs> this is the girl one. <laughs> this is the girl. It's, 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 a, it's kind of a girl. Uh, so he fights his own arm. <laughs> yeah, Joseph gets into a battle with his own <laughs> For the rest of this arm. episode, he's fighting his own arm one yeah, way or another. Th this fight rules. <laughs> it's so good. He grabs a scalpel and just goes to stab it in the face, the, the only thing that it is. But it just bites down on the scalpel, just grabs it. And then, like, spits out the scalpel uh, to sort of, like, juggle it with its mouth, grab it by the other end, and come back at him with the, the pointy bit. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it pukes at Joseph. It's like got acidic puke that burns through stuff a bit. It pukes at him. It slices off his robot pinky. He just oh, cannot yeah. keep that robot pinky. Yeah. So Joseph's trying to just get the fuck out of the, the room. Uh, but a, a nurse comes in and notices like, oh, shit, the doctor's dead. Joseph's a murderer. Uh, and the cops get immediately called. Well, the, the cops get immediately called because the, the, the Empress, in a truly impeccable vocal match for <laughs> Joseph Joestar, yeah. just, <laughs> what, what a chameleon. Uh, uh, the, the, the standpipe sub says, I'm Joseph Joestar. I'm an American. I killed this man dead because I hate doctors, but I like you, baby. Come on, Toots, <laughs> let's go. Here's my address. <laughs> Bet the cops will never come looking for me, the murderer, Joseph Joestar. <laughs> yeah. 
And this is uh, the first of many episodes that uh, became another JoJo meme in that, at least with the Japanese voice acting, this is an episode that has a lot of Japanese Joseph saying English phrases and swears. <laughs> yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of, oh, no, and son of a bitch, and holy shit. Uh, uh, to, to let people in the production, uh, th- this is a delayed uh, uh, recording for us. So mm-hmm. in order to remind myself of what happened, I rewatched these episodes uh, after I did, you know, first pass where I was watching really closely and taking my notes. So it was for the second one that I was just going to watch straight through to, to remind myself of what happens i watched uh, uh w- with the japanese vocal tracks yeah so yeah i got i got that and i heard both versions of the empress's voice they are the same but in different <laughs> languages and i love them <laughs> yeah so yeah joseph's on the run from the cops now <laughs> there there's cops all around the clinic I want the Empress to become like a new party member. Like this is a very big departure from Avdol, but I think that opens mm. up a lot of <laughs> uh, uh, new dynamics within the group. It could be very interesting. Let's see how it goes. We we don't have a really sassy one yet, really. Yeah. Closest yeah. we get is Polnareff, but he's more like cocky. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Joseph has barely made it out of the clinic before the cops got there. He is just in the alley right outside, and he tries to uh, to to crush the Empress just by banging his arm really hard against the wall. But it doesn't work because the Empress has now sprouted arms, and I believe he has a tumor of baby Sinclair. <laughs> yeah, it's got beefy little baby arms now. <laughs> this uh, stand is about to say, not the mama, I swear. <laughs> So, so the wall that Joseph's trying to smash the Empress against, it's it, there's a window with iron bars over it, and so now the Empress, with its be- be- beefy little baby arms, has grabbed onto the bars, so Joseph can't get a move anywhere. As the Empress starts screaming, like, "Hey, police! I'm over here!" <laughs> <laughs> so now we're in a familiar position: Joseph, Joe Star, and some cops in an alley. Joseph <laughs> begins charging his hormone, thinking like, oh man, it's been a long time since it came down to this. This is about to be a bloodbath. Thank God he doesn't have any fizzy beverages. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he, he tried to use the hormone on the Empress, but uh, a- as the Empress states, only stands can hurt other stands. So hormone doesn't do shit to it. Also, I'm your own arm. Your, your, your hormone can't hurt you, which is me. Yeah. You silly goose. <laughs> Uh, also, I like that the Empress the Empress stand is versed in how Hamon works a little bit. A little bit. A little Just bit. a little bit. She knows her stuff. Joseph swears to himself, shit, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. <laughs> yeah. All of them. I, I need all their help right now. <laughs> Family reunion. I'm fucked. <laughs> so, so Joseph is ba- barely able to get away from the cop because he is able to um, kind of briefly incapacitate the Empress by calling out hermit purple the little his stand is just the vines that come out of his arms and just wrapping the vines around it kind of like choking it a little bit mm-hmm. so now he is running down uh the, the city streets looking for help he's got a, a little bit of cloth <laughs> over his disgusting evil sentient arm tumor also in the alley though the empress does joseph's trick to him oh right <laughs> the empress does joseph's trick <laughs> joseph's trick <laughs> yeah, the, the whole you're about to say blank thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, she predicts that he's thinking about how useless Hermit Purple is in a situation like this. If if a, only a stand can hurt stands and his stand can't hurt, what the fuck is he going to do? Yeah. 
So yeah, as Joseph is running down the, the city streets, he gets pretty close to finding Polnareff, who is also separated from the rest of the group. He's just like on a little date with the, the Indian princess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but she sees that Joseph is coming down the street and she distracts Polnareff by just like turning around, turning around go, and going like, ooh, what's that? And I swear she must have introduced herself earlier, probably on the bus, because I'm starting in my notes to refer to her by her name, Nana. Right, Nana okay. as in 99 Luff Balloons. Right, yes. Yeah, she must have done that earlier, or at least Polnareff said her name out loud earlier. But she looks like she died inside three times over. Oh, she fucking hates being with Polnareff, yeah. <laughs> so much. And also, like, on top of Polnareff just turning around so he can't see Joseph. There's basically, like, construction workers moving a, a big object out of the way, but it's just, like, a big carpet on a pole. And that's yeah. <laughs> just enough to block Joseph for the five seconds he's looking in the, d- the direction of Polnareff before he goes down a different street. It, it's like uh, two guys carrying a plate glass window, but the opposite in every way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's opaque rather than transparent. If you go through it, it just sort of flutters instead of shattering. <laughs> dude, Polnareff, she's 16, dude. Dude, dude, she's dude, 16. Polnareff, she's come 16. On. Come on, man. But he, he is still trying to date her without dating her and convince her to to leave a whole horse for him. Mm-hmm. And she, he can't stop talking about whole horse. <laughs> and then he's like, but I don't even care who you've been dating in the past, baby. It's all good. Even if I've been talking about him for seven hours straight, whatever. <laughs> God damn. So while Joseph is still running, he noticed that the empress underneath this this bit of cloth he's got is just like making crunching noises and kind of lip smacking noises and she's kind of wiggling around a bit and then uh just chunks of random bits of food that she has somehow picked up start falling from from out of his arm apple core banana wrapper 90 percent of a head of lettuce uh a chicken's did did not like the lettuce yeah then a chicken's head is the punchline (laughs) it's very good i i really want to know how it kept all of that underneath the cloth Empress is now the star of the show. More Empress. More Empress. Give mm-hmm. me more Empress. <laughs> Joseph takes off the, the cloth, and now the Empress has grown even bigger. It's got bigger arms. Uh, it's got shoulder pauldrons. It, you know, it's, it's basically a full person from the waist up now, growing out of yeah, his arm. Yeah. Uh, she, she's reached her final form and can uh, uh, reach Joseph's very vulnerable throat uh, yep. from you know, where she's planted on his forearm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so he tries to wrap her up in in uh hermit purple again but it just she is uh too strong she starts uh like mockingly referring to joseph as her dad now saying like mm-hmm, hey you mm-hmm. can't treat your child like this now th- th- this whole setup there is a very clear metaphor in the eldest being betrayed by his own body mm. like this is showing like the fear of, of age and sickness slowing him down made all the more clear by the fact that this started as a mole that suddenly grew and changed shape that he needed to get checked out. Like there, there is Empress is referred to as a tumor many times. Like it's very clear what's going on here, Mm -hmm. but the, the metaphor that is instead coming out in the dialogue is yeah. The, the whole parent thing, uh, uh, instead being portrayed, not by the body you have, but by your issue, your own flesh and blood coming against you. Mm -hmm. And like, there is, again, the potential of body horror in the horror of childbearing, of a part of you becoming its own entity that can then betray you and harm you, mm-hmm. uh, uh, stab you in the back. Also, the Empress likes to go, what now? <laughs> like, <laughs> like she's Ken 
from from Fist of the North Star. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to draw out some of these themes, but I love this episode because it is hilarious. It is it's, very it's, goofy. It's yeah. very silly. Uh, like, yeah, Empress even does the, the Bruce Lee nose thumbing thing yep. before going for a barrage of punches. Yeah. And, and Joseph's able to, like, block the barrage of punches with his robot hand, but she is so strong. She is just annihilate. She's just pulverizing his robot hand. It is just getting crumpled into bits. Uh, some of the fingers are snapping off. She punches the robot hand so hard that the, the robot hand punches Joseph in the face <laughs> as he's screaming, oh, no. In fact, she actually punches Joseph so fucking hard that he just gets lifted off of his feet and goes flying <laughs> into a uh, into a table. And as they crash around, for some reason, there were pots of ash in this table. Yeah, I guess every town needs an ash vendor. I mean, it's probably for like ritual things, huh? Yeah, probably. So they're they're rolling around in a big dust cloud like it's fucking Tom and Jerry or whatever. <laughs> And again, I I am curious how much of this stand other people can see, because Empress seems like, I don't know where it sits on the star platinum to strength uh, mm-hmm. um, continuum of how visible a stand is. Yeah, somebody does remark, like, when everyone's, like, really confused why Joseph just got thrown into a table and is rolling around on the ground now. At least one person does remark, hey, that guy's got a weird growth on his arm. But I don't know mm-hmm. if they can just see just like the growth or can they see the whole little gremlin grown out of this guy's arm, <laughs> yeah. too? Like We know they can hear the voice of the gremlin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless I'm misremembering, I think this is the first instance of seeing a stand that has its own personality. Because, you know, like the Empress is talking and stuff, but like Polnareff isn't hearing any of that shit. So it's not the the stand user talking through the stand like like the other times we've seen that happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that that is just a thing that happens. Some stands have their own their own little personality. You can talk and stuff. Uh, so speaking of Polnareff and Nana, we cut over to them again for mm-hmm. a little bit. And you know what? I can see the appeal here. She does have legs. I understand why Polnareff is, is attracted to her. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, uh, Joseph is running by them again, so she has to distract Polnareff by pushing him into an alley and like and getting all uh, sappy and saying how much she loves him and stuff. And, and Polnareff mm-hmm. buy, buys it hook, line, and sinker. Hell and just, yes. And just thinks like, damn, I'm so lucky. <laughs> she's 16 bro while while yes joseph is just running through the streets desperate uh just sprinting around uh you're not sure where he's going you're not sure if he knows where he's going yeah he's just kind of zigzagging through a bunch of random ass alleys until he finds a barrel of goo Mm. one of them big old goo barrels you always hear about And so he he runs up to that barrel of this this black gunk and just dunks the empress and his arm into it. And it seems like he's just trying to drown the empress or Mm -hmm. something. Air bubbles come up and pop the the whole shebang. Mm -hmm. And then the empress's arm just lunges out from the barrel. Uh, She's got a a nail that she picked up off the ground while they were rolling around a second ago and just jabs it right into Joseph's neck. Mm -hmm. And so he's fighting off himself but there, there's no strength left in his uh, uh cyber hand mm-hmm. uh he, he's being slowly impaled and empress is yet again taunting him like dude i told you so many times how stands work you cannot drown a stand i'm fine mm-hmm. until 
things begin to solidify. <laughs> oh my god. It wasn't just any goo, it was coal tar. And uh, a- as it dries out and hardens, Empress's muscles, uh, her little limbs freeze in place. Mm-hmm. And so Joseph can just straighten his arm to, to pull that nail out. And she's she's frozen, frozen solid. Yeah, just just completely encased, except for her face, like in Coltar here. Also, earlier throughout this episode, uh, th- there's been some talk between Joseph and the Empress about combat experience. Like Joseph's old, but he he's had so much experience that you know he can win out in fights where otherwise you know the odds are stacked against him and all that. He forced the ego death of the ultimate life form. <laughs> Yeah, that's some fucking combat experience right By there. By pointing at him until rocks happened to randomly strike him. <laughs> <laughs> if I were to try that, it would take a lot of pointing. I don't know if it would ever come. Yeah. But, <laughs> but that's yeah. what combat experience does. Yep. The rocks always come for Joseph. And so now that uh, Empress is, is completely frozen and encased in this coal tar, uh, Joseph starts mocking her back, saying like, oh, what? Can you say that again? I'm too fucking old to hear you. Guess my ears are failing me now. What was that? Oh, this. And so this finally completes the wildest episode of Dr. Pimple Popper MD of all time. <laughs> As he pops out uh, uh, his stand once again to, to wrap her up in vines once again, mm-hmm. but but also attach her to you know a structure on the second story of this building, and then just jumps off, basically yanking this boil of a stand off of him, as as she is locked and frozen in tar, unable to resist. Yeah, but but the right before end. yeah, right before he does that, he explains like. You know, how the fuck did he know there's going to be a, a barrel of goop here? It cuts back to uh, the table he had crashed into earlier with all the ash and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when he was rolling around, he had actually used Hermit Purple to use the ash to draw a map of the city that drew an X on where there'd be something useful for him to defeat the stand, which was the yes! coal tar. <laughs> yes. I, I love the way the. I mean, it's just a perfectly Joseph move. It's absolutely right. Like, th- this episode is Joseph's greatest hits. Like, oh, yeah. you, you love this guy. It, it's time to to really shine a spotlight on all the great things you love about this guy from when he was young. He's still got it, baby. Yeah, yeah. Like, Joseph straight up says at this point, at this part, at some point, like, I still got it, baby. <laughs> like, almost verbatim. <laughs> Up to this point, he's just like, okay, if, if I can find a camera to smash, I can find the stand user, I will just punch someone in the face until my arm <laughs> stops screaming at me. That's plan A. Yeah. But no, he doesn't need a camera. He can f- make an image out of anything because he's fucking Joseph Joestar. <laughs> so yeah, there's just like random people in the street just marveling that the ash has perfectly formed a map of the the, the city and they're just like And they're baffled. very curious what this X is marking. Like, what's that? <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, when, when Joseph wraps em- the Empress up again in, in Hermit Purple, he, he does the Joseph, he does Joseph's trick again. Uh, <laughs> says, you know, you're going to say blank, you know, please, no, don't do that. And she does that. And she's shocked. Is yeah, he, he jumps off the building and just tears her off his arm with. Now, it's not entirely Joseph's greatest hits, though, because he does not give a speech about respecting, like, <laughs> uh, the noble soul of this stand. <laughs> yeah, he does And how, the, you know... They they started off you know pretty rough, but they went through a lot together today. Maybe maybe he finally grew out of that phase. <laughs> J- Joseph thinks about the times he did that. He just gets embarrassed now. So so meanwhile, back in the date zone, uh, Polnareff is there with Nana as she explodes into vomit. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Like right as he's about to kiss her, she just starts like vibrating and jiggling and like gurgling and yeah. She vomits all over him. It splashes across the alley, and then her body splits open to reveal a slug-like woman inside her. <laughs> yes, a much larger woman than Nana Nana was somehow inside of her. This was actually just a disguise of the Empress. And the thing is, Polnareff has had worst first dates. Like, th- this isn't so bad. <laughs> but on the other hand, she's not really 16, so hey, oh, come phew. on. Smooch the lady, no objections, go for it. Yep, everyone's trying to cancel me, but, uh... Hey, everybody, <laughs> my defense of there, there was a much older woman disguised as a 60-year-old woman is passing the, the test. Look, I, I'm not taking advantage of an innocent 16-year-old. I'm being manipulated by a murder woman. <laughs> There you go. It's much better. I'm innocent, Your Honor. <laughs> oh, so so everybody catches up with each other. Night has fallen. Hey, JoJo's in this episode. Hey. So's Kakui, and it's been a while. Hey, JoJo. <laughs> uh, and and the boys are all looking out over the Ganges, uh, and like, man, it sure would be nice if we could go to the hotel. Too bad one of us is an accused murderer. Mm-hmm. That sucks. It's gonna take a couple days before any speedwagon lawyers get out here and. <laughs> convince the cops to not uh arrest this man uh until joseph throws uh the keys to to his new rental car i guess at polnareff and they lodge in his hair it's really funny (laughs) he's sticking out like the fucking sword in the stone yeah it's really and polnareff's like really despondent he's just sitting on the ground just staring just into the middle distance because the the girl he liked was actually a weird toad woman that wanted to kill everybody uh (laughs) So yeah, he doesn't even react to this key just, like, lodging in his hair. There's, like, a really funny sound effect to the key lodging in his hair, too. <laughs> it's good. They all hop in the, into this rental car and uh, start driving away. And just before the episode ends, oh, watch out. There's an There's evil-looking car. another car. Whoa. <laughs> There's an evil-looking car behind them to be continued. Not all cliffhangers are created equal. It's okay to admit it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. To be continued, a car. Ooh. This show has never had a cliffhanger as dramatic and, oh shit, things are about to get real as uh, uh, Baron Zeppeli stepping up to die. Even all the way through part five, I think that is still the best cliffhanger in all of JoJo. It's just really good, especially with Roundabout like picking up mm-hmm. in, in, leading into the, the cliffhanger ending. Yeah, it's, it's so good. But at least it's nice to still have some as just bizarre and like, what the hell message am I supposed to get out of this <laughs> as a little mole opening up to say, Chummy me! <laughs> yeah. Goddamn, man. That is the entire agenda for today. It's a really good stretch of three episodes. I enjoyed these quite a bit. Like, I enjoyed the show getting as, like, dramatic and weighty as it could be. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, surrounding Avdol's death and just how much of a fucked up, dangerous uh, uh, murder man uh, uh, Centerfold is. And then yeah. this hard swing into a sort of nostalgic comic episode. We're watching yeah. Joseph, who is... It's taken a step down from being practically the sole hero to, you know, one quarter to one fifth of a hero. Mm-hmm. But he still has all of his overacting enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The, the soul of Joseph is the same. And, and seeing that come out in a, 
what's essentially a comedy episode. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's, he's fighting for his life, but Empress is never scary in that same way. No, it, it's just a really entertaining comical stand and just how rude it is. Yes. How much yes. it's taunting Joseph and how it's just this little arm gremlin just punching this guy. I enjoy when the stands and or users are such dramatic foils to uh, whoever they're facing off with. Like, yeah. Empress really could be a kid that Joseph raised. Yeah. Like, th- there is a sense that Empress's personality is some of that that Josephness <laughs> mixed with a lot of, like, oh, you are you were not disciplined right as a child. There, you, there's something fucking wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's Holly's very unfortunate sister. <laughs> but uh, I think Whole Horse is a, an interesting aspect of that same thing, which is why mm. I presume he will return. He lived to fight another day, which is new oh, yeah. for a stand user. The, the way he's laughing in unison, he's clearly a mirror for Polnareff, but he has the, I know I'm number two, I'm the backup that mm-hmm. is sort of Avdoli. He has he has a Jojo-like uh, a relationship with women. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There is does. an element of all five of these guys in a, a whole horse all wrapped yeah. up. Yeah, Whole Horse is a pretty entertaining character. I think Araki immediately knew the instant, like, he just, it feels like he just drew Whole Horse, and he was just like, oh, yeah, I gotta have this guy live for a while. Cowboys are fucking rad. Cowboy guy with ghost gun. With a lot of the the stand fights, it is, it has come down to, like, okay, how can one of them just land the the killing blow? But they know how they're gonna do it. They're gonna stab them or punch them or shoot shoot them with chaos emeralds, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Whereas with Joseph, it's just like, this isn't a stand that fights. How the fuck is he gonna do this? (laughs) Uh, And, and like, the way he gets, he defeats the Empress by, you know, using the vine to just get enough height to just rip it off his arm is really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's not, like, an attack per se, it's just physics. (laughs) Again, yeah, stands are subject to physics, except when that would uh, uh, cause physical damage to them. Mm -hmm. Unless the principles of physics are being applied by another stand. Yeah. Yeah. And and then it's it's just like, well, my stand is that this specific aspect of physics doesn't apply to it. Sometimes it's that too. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Imagine a world where uh, Joseph didn't rip it off, and there's just a tar lump attached to his arm constantly. (laughs) That's just just how Joseph deals with problems. He doesn't kill anybody. He just makes them inert. Yeah, cars, Empress. It's all the same. (laughs) (laughs) It's. I'm. I'm always always just a big fan of like having a character beyond their heyday get like another shot at doing the thing they used to do when they were younger. I just love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And anytime Master Roshi uh, powers up. Yeah. It's rad. It's yeah. cool. He's back for one more fight. Batman Beyond, there's a single episode where yes. Terry is fucked and, and Bruce comes in the mecha Batman suit to save the day. That episode kicks ass. <laughs> <laughs> and he's only able to fight for like 30 seconds because the 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 mech suit is too powerful and it's going to give him a fucking heart attack or something but mm-hmm, they play mm-hmm. the original batman thing when he comes in oh man it's good <laughs> but yeah these, these three episodes are really good yeah the first set of two parters and for a lot of the time going ahead we are going to uh be getting more and more two parters the, the stand users get more formidable from this point on just realize that one of the thumbnails for one of the episodes on crunchyroll has a big ass spoiler in it so <laughs> Everybody, don't look at episode 23. 
Until you finished episode 22, do not look at episode 23. Yeah. Episode 23 is dead to me. <laughs> uh, so I, I've got a few more thoughts that I could say, but I'm going to save them for next week. Okay. What's that? <gasps> That's because next week we are having yet another discussion episode. Yeah. So because Stardust Crusaders is not just longer, but so much longer than the mm-hmm. first two parts, instead of holding off for the end, we're, we're having guests on to talk about uh, a few parts along the way. And this really feels like a good, you know, break point for the series yeah, as yeah. well. We, we get a, we, you know, Avdal has just died. Some, some heavy shit has happened. And, uh, you know, it, it feels like a good point before heading on to the, the rest of the story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is time to take stock of uh, uh, <laughs> the the dawn of this new part as it has begun and developed and, yeah, hit a, a real uh, turn in its stakes mm-hmm. and uh, beginning a turn in its structure as we look ahead toward the, the next stretch. And we're going to have uh, someone on to, to talk about those things with us. So look forward to that next time. So with that, again, thank you for for joining us. Thanks for listening. And thank you for for, uh, spreading the show around. We we do appreciate every time somebody uh, uh, goes out and and tells a friend or tells their networks or or whatever about how much they're enjoying uh, uh, listening to this show. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's it's. It's gratifying. It's fun to hear, and it and it helps us grow and and uh, find people who would really like to find us. They just don't know it yet. They'll find us though. (laughs) They're going to find us in a map of ashes that they made by rolling around. (laughs) Anyways, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. To be continued.